0: Code program. This podcast contains adult language and content. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. I grew up in a small beach town in Florida. It's located on a barrier island, which means it's on the edges of the state and acts like a barrier for storms against the mainland. My family and I moved in in 1989, and my mother always joked that it was the land of America's most wanted. This had the cadence of a joke, but it was also a little true because we had suspects that had been caught hiding out in our small, seemingly off-the-grid beach town. That being said, for the most part, the crime was pretty low there, so I always felt safe. My mother's home was practically located on beachfront property. There was just one empty lot in a desolate stretch of state route between our house and the beach. My entire childhood was spent on the miles of beach that stretched right in front of my mom's house. She lives at the end of our town, about two miles from Canaveral National Seashore, which is a wildlife preserve. Her home is on a private part of the beach, but about a block down is a public parking area and a huge retaining wall. Depending on beach erosion, the wall is either 10 feet tall or 2 feet tall. This area was a beach access point that was open to the general public. Just past the public parking area, there are two oceanfront condominium buildings, and then there's about a mile-long line of oceanfront homes on the road leading to the national park. Growing up, my mother always warned me and my siblings about the weirdos around the wall at the beach. My siblings all had their fair share of creepers at the wall growing up, but I didn't have an experience of my own until I was an adult visiting home for the first weekend with my husband. At the time, I was about 33 years old. My husband, Chad, and I drove into town with our two kids to surprise my mother. We were making an impromptu trip to the beach for the weekend. We got in pretty late at around 10 p.m. or so. We brought a 12-pack of beer and stayed up for a couple of hours with my mom and my brother, just catching up and shooting the shit. After that, my mom went to sleep, and my brother headed to his living quarters as well. Chad and I decided to grab a couple of beers and have a late night walk on the beach in the moonlight, since it was a gorgeous night. This is something we usually do when we stay at my mother's. I was wearing a sundress that didn't have pockets, so I left my phone charging at the house. Chad isn't a big phone person, so he left his at home too. Not that it would matter if we had our phones anyway. There's almost zero reception at my mother's and even less reception on the beach. There was no point in bringing phones along. It was about 2 a.m. when we decided to take our walk in the direction of the national park. I was feeling nostalgic and I wanted to show my husband the first home we rented when we moved there in 1989. The tide was extra low, and we were walking along the waterline, with small waves crashing on our feet. We walked up to the retaining wall, close to the public parking lot, and we could see one or two cars in the lot, which wasn't unusual. We also saw a group of younger people, who we assumed to be teenagers. They were swimming And other than us and them, there was nobody else on the beach. The wall is fairly long, about the length of a football field. And after the wall, as I mentioned, are two beachfront condo buildings. We continued walking and I told Chad stories about how, as kids, my siblings and I used to sneak into the condo buildings and swim in the pools. As we were talking, we were approaching the beachfront homes, which cast long shadows directly onto the beach since they are right in front of the beach. We were getting closer to my family's first rental home when we both started having a nervous feeling. It was like fight or flight was kicking in. Chad started asking me questions about wildlife in the area, and I explained that there was a fair population of bobcats, Florida panthers, and rattlesnakes because of the national park. So I started telling him some other stories of wildlife sightings my siblings and I had as kids. Chad and I tried to loosen up a bit as we jokingly teased and spooked each other, but the entire time, our fight-or-flight feeling was getting more intense. We both had to take a second and stop walking. Chad asked, Do you feel like we're being stalked? The blood drained from my face as I responded. Yeah, I've had that feeling for the last ten minutes or so. We decided to turn around and not continue walking to the old house. We just had this feeling that a panther or a bobcat was stalking us, and the feeling only intensified. We got back to the part of the beach where it opens up to the strip of beachfront homes. From there, we could see a glow on the beach from the street lamps lining the state route running along the beach. I thought for sure the bad feelings would go away once we weren't in the shadows of the homes, but it didn't. It got worse. Chad and I both started feeling sick with dread. We could see the condos in the distance, and there was a man standing on the beach. He was close to the stairway going up to the condo, standing in this Peter Pan stance with his hands on his hips and his feet hip-width apart. He was wearing a raincoat, and there was a small cooler by his feet. As we crossed in front of him, my husband whispered, That's the stance of a serial killer. Then the man bent over, picked up the cooler, and started walking. Our feeling of dread continued to intensify, though. Chad subtly asked, Did he wait until we passed to start walking? I reluctantly replied, Yes, he cut down the beach and now he's walking in our direction. In our peripherals, we could see that he was following us and cutting down the beach slowly and gradually. We were approaching the retaining wall, which was about eight feet tall, so it was casting a pretty large shadow on the beach. I thought that maybe he was walking back to his car and he's headed to the parking lot. But he passed that stairway leading to the parking lot and continued to get closer to us. As we walked, Chad took two empty beer bottles out of his back pocket. He had held onto them so that he could dispose of them after the walk as he knows I'm against littering, especially on the beach. I was holding an empty bottle and still finishing the second beer. I was holding it when Chad instructed me to grip the bottles in each hand like he was. He demonstrated the grip and said, if I need to, I'm going to hit him with these in the head. I want you to do the same, then run. Don't worry about me, just run. By this point, the man carrying the cooler had been following us for about ten minutes. My ears were ringing as I prayed. I'm so scared. Please, angels, be with us. Chad and I could tell that this man was less than ten feet from us. We didn't want to be within arm's length, so Chad stopped and turned to look at him. The man stopped abruptly. He was backlit by the moonlight, so we couldn't see his face or what he looked like. He stared at us until he finally decided to ask a question. In a really cheesy radio DJ deep voice, he casually asked, May I ask you a question? I was frozen with fear and in total shock at the nonchalant attitude he had. He was acting as if following us on the dark beach for the past 10 minutes at 3am was completely normal. Chad, however, was much braver than me. He took two steps in the man's direction and yelled, Can you ask us a question? No, you can't ask us a question on the beach at 3am. Get away from us. Leave us alone. The man hesitated for a moment before replying in that same cheesy radio DJ voice. Okay. He sounded offended, as if Chad was the one being unnecessarily rude. We didn't want to run or show fear, but we started to speed walk back towards my mom's house. We were still about a half a mile away, and walking the last half mile felt like it took forever. Our ears were ringing the whole time. I've never been so scared. I just kept thinking about our two babies sleeping at my mom's. All I wanted to do was get back safely to them. As we ran through the overgrown empty lot and into my mother's yard, we finally felt safe. But we were still on edge. We sat on my mother's porch, facing the beach until the sun rose, keeping watch to make sure that he didn't follow us. To this day, I cite this as one of the scariest moments of my life, mostly because we both had every fiber of our being telling us that there was danger. I still have the sundress that I was wearing that night. Five years later, I still can't bring myself to put it on, since I'm afraid of feeling that same fear And dread that I felt that night. The silver lining is that I fell in love with my husband a little more that night. He was my protector and kept us both safe. There are two questions I can't seem to shake all these years later. What was that man going to ask us? And what on earth was in that cooler? Writing can be pretty tough, whether it's drafting up an important email, updating your resume, or posting on social media. Finding the right words is not always easy, but there's something that can help. Grammarly. For over 10 years, Grammarly's AI technology has been the go-to for people looking to improve their writing across all platforms. Grammarly does even more, though. With one click, you can brainstorm, rewrite, and get suggestions tailored to your context and goals. It's about making you and your team more productive. Struggling with a flooded inbox? Grammarly can help with that too by summarizing emails and suggesting quick replies. Or if you have a big presentation coming up, let Grammarly help you turn your ideas into something compelling. What I love about Grammarly's AI is that I'm actively learning to write better by using Grammarly's prompts. Because those suggestions really start to stick in your head and become a part of your vocabulary. It's been a fantastic learning tool on top of everything else. And the best part is that it's free to use. So why wait? Download Grammarly today and give your writing the edge that it deserves. Make your words count. Start being more productive at work. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download for free today. That's G-R-A-M-M-A. Rly.com slash podcast. Now back to the show. I'm a girl who lives in Northern Europe. I don't want to specify too much about where I'm from and where this happened because I don't want to present an opportunity for this story to be traced back to me. To preface, I had a part-time job at a research facility. This facility, where I was working, was located in a bigger city, and it was a 30-minute bus ride from where I was living at the time. It was located in an industrial park, which meant that the only people who were around were employees from various companies who rented out the office spaces, facilities, and warehouses in the area. The research center had three shifts available, mornings, evenings, and overnight. I had availability to work all three, but I mostly worked overnight shifts since none of my co-workers wanted to work that late. Plus, as a night owl, the 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift worked rather well for me. This story happened back in October during one of the aforementioned overnight shifts. It was a late Thursday night. I was one of the three people scheduled to work that night. The three of us were not working side by side as we were all in separate departments spaced kind of far apart from each other in the building. I was working all alone on water analysis in a chem lab. This job was really quiet and peaceful as it was in a facility that wasn't accessible to the general public. All of the doors were locked and everyone who worked on site couldn't enter the building without a key card. The keycard needed to be swiped upon entering and leaving the building, which made it feel secure, although we didn't have security guards on the premises. Additionally, the keycards needed to be used to access doors inside the building, so in general there wasn't any concern about anyone uninvited getting into the building even late at night. On this particular night, I had taken the bus to work. When I arrived, I greeted my evening shift co-workers who were leaving as their shifts were ending and mine was beginning. It absolutely seemed like a normal day at first. I was in a good mood and so were the 2 coworkers who I was working the night shift with. After we touched base, we parted ways and went to our designated labs to get to work. Three hours into my shift at 1am, I decided to take a 20-minute break. My two other co-workers had taken their breaks earlier than me, so I went on my break alone. Our break room was set up in a lounge with a couple of long tables, chairs, a mini-kitchen, and a bathroom. To walk to this break room, I had to walk down this big hall with old, flickering ceiling lights. And I'm not going to lie, this was not my favorite place to be alone at 1 a.m., especially when the whole building was nearly empty and it's pitch black outside. There were big windows in the employee lounge facing the surrounding parking lot, but I couldn't see anything out there. It was just darkness which gave off this eerie vibe at nighttime. Five minutes into my break, I decided to step outside to smoke a cigarette. I put my jacket on, picked up my stuff, and opened the door to get outside with my keycard. We had this designated smoking spot in the back of the parking lot that was about a one-minute walk from the door. Now, if I said I wasn't scared to be alone in an empty parking lot at night, I would be lying. But I really needed that cigarette. Having to walk out there alone was easily the thing I disliked the most about the overnight shift. But nothing bad had ever happened, and I live in a generally safe country, so I just hoped for the best. There was this nasty, chunky white plastic chair in the designated smoking place, and I took a seat in it as I lit my cigarette. From the smoking spot, I had a clear view of the entrance of the building since there were bright lights illuminated above the door. I always found myself unintentionally staring at that door. I mean, it was night in an industrial park, so it's not like there were any interesting things for me to look at anyway. Then all of a sudden... I noticed a person approaching the door. It was a man wearing a trench coat and a top hat, holding a briefcase. I had never seen this man before, not at work or anywhere else. He stopped and stood extremely still right in front of the main entry door. He wasn't moving a muscle as he faced the door. It was so jarring to see a strange man appear so suddenly, just standing by the door. I cannot explain how scared I was. As he continued to stand there, I started thinking about how to get past him and back inside. He had no idea that I was in the darkness in the parking lot since he hadn't seen me. I was concerned that he would see me when I was trying to get back inside, especially if he was trying to get into the building as well. I couldn't help but wonder who he was and what he wanted. This was a really weird place for this strangely dressed man to be at 1am. The door that he was standing outside of was the only door I could use to get back into the building, so I had no choice but to try and ignore him as I went back inside. I finished my cigarette and then started walking toward the man and the door. All the while, he continued to stand there, just facing the door, clueless about my presence in the parking lot. The closer I got to him and the door, the more scared I got. I got so scared that I actually stopped to rethink my decision. It was technically part of my job to confront unwanted visitors and tell them to contact customer service as the facility isn't open to the general public. But again, it was 1am. Approaching an odd man who appeared out of thin air was not appealing to me as an 18-year-old girl who was all alone. My gut was telling me that I should not continue walking to the door, so I decided to call my coworker to ask her to meet me at the door and let me in. I figured this was better and safer than facing the man by myself. I ducked behind my coworker's car as I made the call. I set myself up in a position where I could still see the man through the car windows. I wanted to keep my eye on him in case he left, and I wanted to make sure I saw which direction he was headed in. My co-worker answered the call, and I whispered as I explained the situation. As I was filling her in, I watched as the man finally moved for the first time since he approached the door. He turned around and stared directly at the car that I was hiding behind. It was clear that he didn't see me, but he must have heard my whispering. And... As if this wasn't enough set up already, what happened next was straight out of a horror film. He quietly lowered himself and then slowly and deliberately started approaching the car on all fours. He chose not to walk or run. He was crawling. I was frozen in fear. I couldn't even scream. I even dropped the phone from my hand. As the man was getting closer to the car, I saw both of my coworkers open the door, waving and screaming frantically at me to make a run for it and come back inside. They did not need to tell me twice. I ran in so fast that this strange man didn't even have time to react. By the time he stood upright and started running after me, the door was already closed and I was back inside. The second he heard the door snap shut, as it locked itself, he turned and just speed walked away, disappearing into the darkness. We called the cops immediately, and they arrived not long after. They patrolled the area, but they didn't find anything or anyone. It was so bizarre. That man disappeared just as quickly as he appeared in the first place, and nobody has seen him since. After our shift was over, my coworkers walked me to the bus stop and waited with me until the bus arrived to make sure that I boarded my bus to get home safely. I'm forever thankful to those lovely co-workers for opening the door for me before the man made his way to where I was hiding. God knows what would have happened if he had got a hold of me. I stopped working overnight shifts after that, and for sure will never work them again. (laughs) This happened when I was in college. To give some background, I was a 19-year-old student living in Mexico. At this time, cartels were very openly working in this particular town, and it wasn't uncommon to see the members of the different groups out partying and just going about their day. I happened to be enrolled in a private university, which was a bit of a nest for cartel kids, who were the sons and daughters of said criminals. This meant that some of my closest friends were, in one way or another, related to cartels. One friend, let's call her Judy, was elbows deep in the lifestyle, and her boyfriend at the time was too. But the three of us were good friends. Julie and I would go out often, as the legal drinking age in Mexico is 18. So, we were doing what college students do. We were partying it up. That being said, we got into the habit of buying drinks for ourselves whenever we went. This was largely because we both understood men can feel entitled to get what they want from you if they buy you something. This is particularly true for the men who are involved in the drug cartels. Julie and I were often surrounded by said men, so we thought that it was better to try not to risk it. After adopting this habit, I never really felt like I was in any danger. That is until one night. Remembering still gives me anxiety. This happened on a boring night. There wasn't much to do, so I was just at home relaxing when I got a text from Julie asking if I wanted to go to a party with her and her boyfriend. It was a yes from me, and about an hour later they picked me up. Fifteen minutes after they picked me up, we were parking outside of the house where this party was. I asked my friend about bringing drinks, and she said that we didn't need to because her boyfriend's godfather had us covered. Honestly, I should have walked away right then and there, but they seemed to trust this guy. Even though I didn't know him, I went into the house with them. As soon as I stepped inside, I realized this was not a party. It was just a bunch of men hanging out. I subtly asked Judy, What the fuck? She said, I know, I'm sorry. I just didn't want to be the only girl here. Great friend, right? I knew I was already deep in the situation, so I couldn't just leave. When it comes to cartel people, you have to be really careful. So we walked in and sat down with the men. Then, an older guy just came over to me and introduced himself as he sat next to me. He introduced himself as Julie's boyfriend's godfather, He offered me a drink which i politely declined he was insistent that i have a drink but i declined again telling him there wasn't anything i normally drank at their house he asked me what i liked to drink and in an attempt to get him to stop offering me drinks i mentioned some outrageously expensive rare liquor that i thought that he wouldn't be able to obtain easily or quickly this godfather then proceeded to send one of the guys out to go look for it, even though I said it wasn't necessary. It all went downhill from there. I turned to Julie, and I signaled with my eyes that I wanted to get out of there. But at that same moment, the guy that was sent out to look for the rare expensive liquor that I mentioned came back with a whole fucking bottle of it. The dude was immediately ordered to make a drink for me, As I was handed this drink, I knew I didn't want to take a single sip, but I ended up having to, as the godfather creep was staring daggers at me. I took the smallest sips before asking Julie to take me home. She seemed unsure about her boyfriend, seeing how uncomfortable I was, got up and took us out of there. I dumped the rest of my drink as soon as we were outside of the house. As sketchy as that was, It's the next part that really freaked me out. As soon as I got home, I collapsed in my bed, and I didn't wake up for 14 hours. It's been about 15 years since this happened, and whenever I think about it, I'm always grateful that I made it home safe, and I'm still alive and well. The older I get, the more I understand the danger of situations that I had put myself in, and how truly blessed I am to be here. I eventually stopped talking to Julie completely and haven't heard from her in many years. I no longer live in Mexico. So, creepy old Godfather guy, let's never meet again. This episode is sponsored by EveryPlate. If you're like me, trying to balance a budget and busy life... I've got just the thing for you, EveryPlate, America's best value meal kit. You know, I always thought that meal kits were a bit pricey, but EveryPlate changed my mind because their meals are more affordable than fast casual dining and grocery shopping. And that's been a game changer for my wallet. EveryPlate delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door with recipes ready in just six simple steps, often in 30 minutes or less. It's easy. It's perfect for those busy days when you still want a home-cooked meal, but you just don't have hours to spare. Also, let's talk about $1 steak for life. With Every Plate, you can add a 10-ounce ranch steak to your weekly box for just a buck while your subscription is active. I can't think of a better reason to sign up. So if you're looking to make mealtime simpler, tastier, and more affordable this year, give every plate a try. You'll love the variety as well as the extra time and money that you'll save. Get started with EveryPlate for just one forty nine per meal plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49MEAT. Subscription must be active to qualify to redeem $1 steak. That's up to a $110 value. Again, get started with EveryPlate for just $1.49 per meal plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49meat. Subscription must be active to qualify to redeem $1 steak. Now back to the show. I'm in my 20s, and this story happened when I was still a munchkin, below the age of 12. My grandmother, who I'll call Tilly, and I used to go on road trips either across our own country or the one next to ours. We lived relatively close to the border. On this particular occasion, we decided to travel across our neighboring country. My grandmother had a friend in the more rural part of our neighboring country, and she hadn't seen her in a while. So, after some planning, we figured out the best time for the two of us to make the trip. I was excited when my grandmother first told me about the trip. I had no idea where we were going, but going on a road trip with my grandma was always so exciting. I could hardly contain myself. Fast forward a few months, and we finally hopped into the car and headed off on our merry way. The trip was going to take approximately a week since my grandmother wanted to see all of the neat stuff along the way. Plus, traveling with someone young and such as myself required a lot of pit stops. I wasn't necessarily a bad or fussy traveling companion, I just had a small bladder. Anyway, we were on the last stretch of our road trip when my grandmother had to pull into a gas station to fill up. We were practically running on fumes. And I really had to go to the bathroom, so we pulled into this middle-of-nowhere gas station. After my grandmother had filled up the car, we hurried inside to use the restroom. The moment that we walked inside, all the alarm bells in my tiny brain went off. I had no idea why I was feeling that way until I set my eyes on the clerk. I'm not usually one to judge a person by how they present themselves, but the clerk looked like he walked straight out of a serial killer documentary. We were in the middle of a very rural area, in the middle of nowhere. This man was polished and looked like he should be selling high-end luxury cars, not working at a run-down gas station. Despite this pristine appearance, the clerk was giving me all kinds of bad feelings. He was smiling a little too widely when he spotted my grandmother. However, when he saw me, you could have sworn he was looking at a Sunday dinner. However, his very wide grin only continued to widen. Remembering it, even to this day, still scares me. Thankfully, my grandma could tell that something was wrong and shielded me from his predatory gaze. She paid for the gas and asked for the key to the washroom, which he took his sweet time getting. She walked with me to the bathroom, which was disgusting, by the way, and I quickly did my business. As we returned the key with great reluctance, things took a turn for the worse. My grandmother and I piled back into the car, and the clerk closed down the shop and got into his car. Now technically, we had two days left on the trip. My grandma stuck to a pretty good schedule on road trips. We would start the day with four hours on the road and then an hour off to explore, fill up, etc. Then we would drive a few more hours and find an inn or hotel to spend the night at. We traveled about eight hours each day. When we left the gas station, the clerk followed us for, and I'm not even joking, the rest of the trip. At first, we just assumed that he was heading in our general direction. It was just one desolate rural road after all. But my grandmother noticed that he wasn't taking any turnoffs, and she realized he was following us. Upon this realization, my grandmother refused to stop driving unless it was absolutely imperative to do so, and the clerk proceeded to follow us for 12 hours. We finally made it to the city where her friend resided and that's when we pulled into a police station. The clerk followed us there, pulling up next to our car just as we headed inside the building. He sat outside in his car as he watched my grandma speak with the lovely lady at the desk. Thankfully, the cops handled this creepy clerk with ease, but I'll never forget this still too wide grin that never left his face while he was being escorted away. Needless to say, my grandmother and I vowed to never road trip in our neighboring country again. But that was the last time we took a road trip in general. I'm an 18-year-old female, and I live in Singapore with my parents. My family consists of only me, my mom, who's 38, and my stepdad, who's 40. The three of us are living in a small apartment together. I have my own bedroom, as I'm an only child. My parents took the smaller room in the apartment, and I have the primary bedroom, which has a big window facing out the back of our apartment building. All of the primary bedrooms in these apartments have these big windows all facing the same direction. The space outside of the big bedroom windows and the units is almost like a walkway. It's accessible from the roads, but there was no logical reason for anyone to need to intentionally stand near my window. For someone to stand outside of my window, they would have to walk in from the road and take a few turns just to find it. One night, I fell asleep at around 11pm and I forgot to close my blackout curtains on my window. The window is frosted, so the view inside is slightly obstructed, but anyone can see through it if they stand close enough. At exactly 1.23 a.m., I was startled awake as I heard three loud knocks on my bedroom window. From where I was sleeping, my window was straight across from me in the right corner of the room. I could generally see shadows on my bedroom door or on the walls during the day, or even in the evening. That late at night, it was completely dark, so I couldn't see anything. My table light also happened to be shining on me at its highest setting, which made me feel even more vulnerable. I had been sleeping on my side, facing my bedroom door, which is on my left. I finally turned my head, and I looked at my window. To my surprise, I saw a silhouette of a man clearly visible through the frosted window. I instantly got goosebumps, and I froze because I was unsure of what to do. The curtains were wide open, and this man could obviously see me. Despite my parents' room being right next to mine, I went into shock. I couldn't get them. I had to call my mom to help me check out what was going on outside the window, or at least to close my curtains for me if I was just tripping. She was trying to sleep, but I told her what I saw. She advised me to sleep in the living room in the meantime to try and calm myself down, but I was too uneasy. I couldn't go back to sleep at all. As I lay awake in the living room, I heard three more knocks coming from my bedroom at three in the morning. By this point, my curtains were closed and my room was out of view, so whoever was out there didn't know that I wasn't in my room. I decided to quietly creep back into my room to try and get a peek at who or what was knocking on the window. The knocks at 3 a.m. differed from the ones that I had heard an hour and a half earlier. The first knocks were loud and in quick succession. This round of knocks was still loud, but much slower. I wish I had stayed curious and stayed in the living room that night. But I decided to walk into my room and peel back the curtain. I cupped my hands on the sides of my eyes and pressed my face up against the glass so I could get a closer and clearer look. I saw a man standing outside of my bedroom window, just four meters away from the window. He stood there staring straight at me. He was wearing long gray pants and a black t-shirt. He had pale skin, very pale. He looked completely emotionless when he saw me. I froze, but I still was able to close the curtains. I returned to the living room. The next morning, although pretty sleep deprived from the night prior, I knew that there was no way I was just hallucinating or hearing things. I knew that I saw a man out there. So I went outside to see if I could find anything. I found large handprints on my window. The moral of the story is to always check your windows before you fall asleep, and close your curtains. Recently, I've had a few encounters with a delivery guy. The first time I remember interacting with him, he asked me what my name was and then recited my previous address. I hesitated on reacting to him, knowing this information, as he asked, You moved, huh? with a creepy smile on his face. I thought that he was just overly friendly. He was trying to make small talk, so I brushed it off. I live alone, so I don't want to overthink it, since I knew that I would get creeped out if I did. After I thought about it, I realized that he was my neighbor at my previous address. The next time I saw him, he struck up a conversation with me saying that he knew one of my friends. I don't like talking to strangers, so I didn't talk with him long, but the conversation stayed with me since I felt so uncomfortable. The way that he specified details in an attempt to relate to me made me feel like he was dangerous. Shortly after that, I was going out and I saw him again delivering a package to my neighbor. I ignored him and tried to walk by without engaging in conversation. He saw me and recognized me and asked me to confirm my old address again, but I just continued walking. I then saw him in my Facebook friend requests. I ignored him there as well, but I was still creeped out. I wound up talking to the friend that this delivery guy said that he knew. At first, my friend said that she didn't know him, but then she recognized his last name, which made her realize he was the son of a family friend. She had never talked to him before, though. His family had no idea that he was working as a delivery guy and he was eventually let go because he became obsessed with his boss, who was an older woman, older than his mom. After not seeing him around for a while, I lost my keys, so I asked my landlord for replacements. I didn't think too much of my missing keys until I came home one day and my door was open. I was cautious upon entry but there wasn't anyone in my apartment. I sighed in relief as I assumed I must have left the door open somehow. I work night shifts, so sometimes my mind is all over the place. My friend told me to report it to the police, but I'm too scared because I'm sure that they'll just let him go, which makes me worry that he'll take revenge on me. My friend also told me he might be doing drugs, according to his family since he's very secretive and acts very suspiciously. In the meantime, I have removed my name from deliveries and set the name to my boyfriend's name. This is just a temporary fix to hold me over until I move to a different city in a few months. The most I can do for now is change my locks and install some sort of personal security camera in front. I'm still scared since this delivery guy knows my address. This happened when I was living in a flat share on the outskirts of a city that is generally known for being quite safe. To get into the building, a key is required for the main entry. The main entry door often isn't shut properly, so it can just be pulled open more often than not as the lock doesn't really engage unless the door is fully closed. This was never really a cause for concern to anyone who lived in the building as it's located in a very trusting neighborhood. Late one night, around 2am, I was lying in bed relaxing, completely sprawled out. Someone opened the door and entered my bedroom. I figured it was just one of my flatmates going out to the balcony. My flatmates had to walk through my room to access the balcony, so it was completely normal to me that somebody was entering and walking through my room at this time. I had just gone out there and smoked a spliff myself, so I opted to ignore the noise as I pretended to be asleep. I felt him standing there for about two minutes. I assumed that maybe he was waiting for his girlfriend to join him, or maybe he was stalling since he was checking his phone or something. In any case, this was still no big deal to me. He finally proceeded to the balcony, which took him about two to three minutes. I still hadn't taken a peek at who was there, but I was still under the impression it was my flatmate. He went outside and smoked a cigarette before coming back. After that, he continued to stand in my room in total silence. As I said before, I was pretending to be asleep, but by this point I was actually falling asleep. I was half asleep but still acknowledged that he was just standing there. I still didn't really think anything of it, but eventually, I fully drifted off to sleep. The next morning when I woke up, my flatmate told me that somebody had broken in. From my perspective, they sauntered in. I suppose, whoever it was, came into my room, then went into the room of my flatmate and rummaged through his things. Then he went into the kitchen And upon seeing my flatmate investigating what was going on, he quickly left out the door and exited the building. The only thing that he stole was my pair of Marshall headphones. My flatmates and I were all very confused as to why this was the only thing he had stolen. There was cash left on the table, and my flatmates had multiple cameras, but all of that remained untouched and intact. We spoke to our neighbors of which there were 15 in the building. None of them had noticed anything out of the ordinary. But we were able to confirm that whoever broke in hadn't gone into any of the other apartments. We knew that most of our neighbors didn't lock their doors at night, much like we didn't. So it seems that this man walked up three flights of stairs, ignoring all of the other apartments, and for some reason went straight to ours. We contacted the police but nothing came of it. The police said that they would keep an eye out and I had to buy a new pair of headphones. The situation left me thinking about what could have happened if I opened my eyes and acknowledged this person standing over me. Would he have hurt me? I never got a good look at him so I've had to live with the uncertainty of not knowing if it was a total stranger or someone whom I had already met. All of this started about six months ago. One night, I was in my room getting ready for bed at around 10.30 p.m. My curtains were closed, so I couldn't see out of the window, but I heard three knocks on the glass of my window. Of course, that scared the living shit out of me, so I didn't even look and I ran to get my dad to make him look. I live with my parents and two brothers in a fairly busy neighborhood, so outside noises weren't uncommon to hear but these hard knocks hit directly on my window, indicated whoever was outside wanted me to hear it. The thing is, my bedroom doesn't face the front of the house, or the road, or anything. My room is actually towards the back of the house, so to knock on my window, someone would have to walk down the side of my house to the backyard, which seemed odd to me. My dad came to check on everything, But by the time that he got into my room and opened the curtains, nobody was outside. He even went into the backyard to check, but nobody was out there. After that, I closed my curtains and brushed it off as hearing things or some sort of animal. The following night, at almost the exact same time, I heard another three knocks on my window. I immediately went to get my dad again, only for him to see nothing All over again. But this time I just couldn't brush it off, so I slept in my parents' room on the floor. The next few nights were calm and quiet until about a week later when I was home alone at night. It was about 9 p.m., and I was on FaceTime with a friend. I heard another three hard knocks on my window. Since I was home alone this time, running to get my dad wasn't an option but I ran into my parents' room anyway and called them. They told me to call the neighbors to help me check it out since they were out of town. So I did, but the neighbors saw nothing. The night after that, at around 1 a.m., I heard the knocking again. This time was different, though. It wasn't just three knocks. The person knocked more than ever before, and it woke me up out of a dead sleep. I was tempted to just look out the window to see who was out there once and for all, but part of me didn't want to know. I went and got my parents, who didn't bother to check at all at this point because they didn't see anything the last few times. But I continued to hear the knocking for the next few nights. It got to the point where I just ended up sleeping on the couch. My parents decided to let me move into a different room so they moved my bedroom into what was the office and switched everything around in hopes that I wouldn't hear things anymore. After moving bedrooms, I didn't hear anything, and it was good for the first three nights. But then I heard it again. The same three hard knocks, but on my new window. This time I looked out, and I saw what I assumed was a man or a very sturdily built woman. They were crouching down, wearing a grey hoodie and some dark jeans. I closed the curtains, then went and told my parents about it. They informed the police, but the police really couldn't do anything because we had no solid proof. They advised us to install a camera outside, facing my bedroom, and we did exactly that. I haven't heard any knocking since, but I can't help but wonder... Who's been doing this? I'm a 40-year-old female, and I board my horse at a small local stable that has access to a lot of acreage and trails for riding. I've ridden there since I was a kid, and the lady who owns the stable and the land has been there for over 40 years. One day, she, my mother, another boarder, and I were all out on a trail when we saw a man in the distance down the trail. Normally when we encounter someone, which is rare, we say hello and encourage them to speak so that the horses know that it's just another person and not something to fear. This guy would not answer us despite our numerous attempts to get him to reply. He just stood there watching us. My horse, Henry is pretty brave about most things, "'but he has to inspect anything that he's unsure of, "'so we continued to approach the man. "'If we had turned and ridden away from him, "'the horses would have been nervous "'and upset about having something unknown behind them, "'so our only option was to keep moving forward. "'When we came right up to him, "'he finally spoke, yelling at us "'and telling us that we were trespassing on his property. "'Annie, the owner of the barn and the land,' is a 70-something horsewoman who backs down from nothing and nobody. She told him that she was in fact the owner of the land, and he was the one trespassing. He argued, and we could clearly see that he wasn't mentally stable. But he lunged out to grab Henry's burtle, which I quickly wheeled around to keep out of his reach. I ride with a long riding crop for brushing flies and spiderwebs away but I was thoroughly prepared to use it on this guy if I had to. The horses were visibly nervous at this point, so we told the man that we were going to turn and ride our way and let him go on his way, wherever that might have been. Luckily, he didn't follow us, but the horses were anxious the whole way home. Once we reached the barn, Annie called the sheriff's office, and they came out and went out with her on the 4 by 4s but they couldn't find the man anywhere. At one point during our encounter, he had given us his name, so I did some internet digging, and I found that he had a criminal record and has beaten his elderly mother so badly that she eventually died from complications from her injuries. She refused to press charges at the time. My parents had owned property that bordered some of the trails that we rode on, and he had been known to hole up in the woods out there and basically live off the land like a wild man. The police told us to be wary, not to ride alone, and to let them know as soon as we saw him again. Luckily, we didn't. If he had been hiding out there, Henry would have let me know, but you can bet that when we rode around for a while, I was carrying my gun like an old school cowboy. I assume he must have moved on, or possibly he got arrested. But in the future, Mr. Crazy Man in the Woods, let's not meet. Thanks for listening, and make sure you stick around after the music if you're a patron for your extended ad-free version of this week's episode. If you'd like to get access, head over to patreon.com forward slash letsnotmeetpodcast or follow the link in the show notes to sign up and support the show today to get instant access to hours and hours of bonus content, stories you won't hear anywhere else. This week you have heard What Was in the Cooler by Jelaine, What Did He Want by High Paracetamol, Always Bring Your Own Drinks by Anonymous, My Road Trip From Hell by Mikey, 1.30am, 3am by AgEnvy, I Think I'm Being Stalked by Smiles Smiley, Stranger Broke In and Watched Me Sleep by Bukrowski, The Person At My Window by No Piglet. 7568 and finally Crazy Woods Man by Gene. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. Make sure you send your stories in to let's not meet stories at gmail.com if you'd like to hear them on the show. And finally, make sure you check out the new episodes of my other podcasts like Odd Trails, my True Paranormal Podcast, and the Old Time Radio Cast, all at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. See you all next week. Everyone stay safe.